If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Daniel, the fourth chapter this morning, Daniel, the fourth chapter, if I could, I don't always title a sermon, but if I could title this one, I would title it a beautiful stump. Now, that sounds kind of odd to you because I doubt you've ever gone down the road and looked at a stump or walked to the woods and looked at a stump and admired it, right? Uh, we admire trees that are beautiful and have uh, big canopies and offer a lot of shade, and we admire beautiful flower beds and all types of things like that. Uh, the only stump that I ever really admired was the stump, I don't even know if it's still there anymore, off of 15th Street where they cut it into a McAllister-shaped cup. Have you ever seen that? A huge tree, and they whittled it down. to. Now, that stump was pretty neat. But typically, you don't admire a stump, right? But we're going to look at a beautiful stump this morning for just a little bit uh, in Daniel, the fourth chapter. If this, was, this is a situation that I doubt will, I'm, I'm certain will never actually happen, but if the powers that be in our country, in our nation, uh, ask me, who is just a nobody, um, to meet with them and talk with them, all the, the president, the vice president, all their advisors, counselors, whatever they had, and they were to ask me, can you tell us uh, what the problem is in our nation? Why are things... Uh, going the way that they are going. Uh, I could tell them little to nothing about uh, foreign policy uh, and, you know, taxes and all that type of thing like that, but I wouldn't really need a lot of information on those things because my answer would be, uh, the, what is wrong with our nation? What is wrong with our marriages? What is wrong with our homes, our families, our parenting? Uh, it's pride. Pride is the root cause of almost every single problem that we have in our lives. And it certainly uh, is manifest uh, clearly in our nation nowadays. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, you don't have to flip over there, but uh, in 2 Timothy, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then he goes on and lists, I think, 20 to 21 more attributes of men that you will see as time goes by. Right? Uh, you read about things like covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, uh, unthankful, unholy. And he goes on and lists several more there, but they all come back to that very first one. And that very first one that he listed there is that men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's where pride comes forth, right? Pride is a love of our own self, it's a, uh, it's a sense that we are entitled or that we place a high uh, worthiness on ourselves simply because we exist, right? And, and it's easy to see that uh, in our nation today that just because we exist, we think we're owed something and we're entitled to something. That's nothing more than pride. That's pride being manifest, right? And so the Bible has much to say about pride, but in the 15 or 20 minutes that I've got with this morning, I'm just gonna give you just a brief overview of it so we can get to the stump that I was talking about earlier. But the Bible tells us, one, that pride is an abomination to the Lord. Now, that word abomination means something that is utterly disgusting, right? Now, for the sake of being decent, I won't sit up here and list things that we would consider utterly disgusting, but you can imagine them. And the way we look at those things and the way it might make our stomach turn is the way the Lord looks on people when we're walking with a high, prideful countenance, right? When we're speaking words uh, that are generated by prideful thoughts. Now, the Bible tells us it's pride. And so you can read about this in Psalms, the 10th chapter. It's pride 
the wicked through the what? Through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Why is it that the wicked won't go after God? Pride, right? Pride is what causes them to not go after God. And because they have a sense of entitlement, a sense of self-worth, they hold their self in very high esteem. I don't need God, right? That's what pride does. The Bible also tells us that pride compasseth about as a chain. You see, pride might, you might feel like pride empowers you, right? To belittle someone else or to think of yourself more highly than you should, you might think that that empowers you, but really all it does is put chains around you. It imprisons you and it puts you in bondage. Three things that the Bible tells us about pride, and this is not my subject necessarily, but three things that the Bible tells us follow pride. Now, um, I've always, I've liked to hunt since I was a little kid. Maybe you're walking down a muddy road, you see a turkey track in the road, and what does that tell you? At some point, a turkey's been here, right? Deer track. At some point, a deer has come through here, right? There are tracks left, if you will, that point us to the understanding of pride has been here, right? There are three things that I can tell you that follow pride, meaning that if you find these things, pride has already been there, right? Number one, in Proverbs 13, it tells us that contention follows pride. That's a quarrel. That's an argument, right? I told Tiffany this morning as we were talking about these things, every single argument since sin entered into the world of man, every single one, whether it was between brother and sister when they're little, whether it was between grown folks, employers, co-workers, whatever, every single argument or quarrel that has ever existed, pride was there first. Are you with me? Somebody had a prideful mindset, probably both parties to some degree, and pride, what followed pride? Contention, a quarrel, strife. Another thing that tells us follows pride is shame. Now, in today's time, I think the hammer of God has to fall harder today to bring about shame than maybe it did 50 years ago. Because we are not a shameful society. My goodness, we ought to be. We ought to be. Let me give you a couple of examples, and I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings. But if it does, maybe that's the Lord working, right? Amen. A trend that I notice is that God's people, for the sake of being entertained, will tolerate things that the Lord absolutely hates. And then go brag about it. Are you understanding me? We will go watch a movie that has got more language in it, which I got a sermon coming up on profanity. So if you don't want to hear that one, you may want to miss a few weeks. We'll watch a movie that is riddled with profanity, riddled with profanity that has nudity and all manner of just debauchery. And then go brag about watching it. When maybe 50, 60, 75 years ago, we would have not wanted anybody to know we saw it. We would have wanted to hide that, right? Listen, and I'll tell you this, and I'll tell you this to, to, to hopefully benefit us all. 
There is no excuse. The Bible tells us that uh, it says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Do you hear that? I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. There is no excuse for a child of God to be blindsided by the content of a movie. Because we have, in today's time with our technology, we've got, uh, we've got websites that will tell you every single thing in it that could be sensitive to people that believe like we believe. Right. Down to the number of cuss words in it. Down to the content in it. No reason for us to be blindsided. We have something that we use at our home called VidAngel. Probably many of you use it. You can watch the same movie that everybody else is watching, but it cuts all that stuff out, right? There's no excuse for us to watch and, and see those things when we've got all manner of things to protect us from it. Because listen, I'll, I'll die on this hill. The things that you watch and the amount of time you're exposed to sin does affect you. Amen. It absolutely affects you. It will, If nothing else, it desensitizes you to That's it. Right. You know why a thorn hurts? It teaches me to not go touch the thorns. Right. Why, when a bee stings me and it hurts, it, it teaches me not to go touch the wasp's nest, right? Sin, sin should sting us. Right. It should hurt us. You know, Paul, was it? he goes into, uh, is, it, is it Athens, I believe, or Mars Hill? It says his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So, uh, Paul walked into that city and it bothered him to see those things. But what do we do? We go get around the water cooler, man. Did you see so and so last night? No shame, right? And I think the hammer of God has got to fall harder now to bring shame to us than it used to. But pride brings shame. Whenever you find shame coming into your life, you know pride has been present. The other thing it brings is destruction. Pride cometh before destruction. Pride cometh before a fall. When you find destruction, you know pride has been there. And listen, if I was just going to, if I got up here and, and I, just had, I just wanted to be mean, we could go through scenario after scenario after scenario and prove that at the root of these scenarios, that when we actually think there's nothing wrong in these scenarios, we can always find pride in it always and it brings contention it brings shame and it brings destruction now let's get to the stump daniel the fourth chapter a beautiful stump remember that's the title that's what we're looking at daniel the fourth chapter a beautiful picture of pride nebuchadnezzar who's the king of babylon has a dream right and the dream that he has, for the sake of time, I won't read it all, but the dream that he has, he sees this huge tree. The Bible says that it reaches up to the heavens. It has a huge canopy. It is something that we would admire. It has wonderful fruit on it. Uh, and it says the birds of the air uh, would flock in it. And it says the beast of the field would come and take shade under it. It's awesome, right? It is what you would stop on the way to the beach and look out in the field and say, that is a beautiful tree. But Nebuchadnezzar says, I hear a voice from heaven, and it says to cut down this tree. It says, this voice says, hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit, lest the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. It says, nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth. Why? Because God's not done with the tree. Don't forget that. God's not finished with the tree. 
And it talks about the stump. It says, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times pass over him. And it says, this matters by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and set up, setteth up over it the basest of men. Now, this bothered Nebuchadnezzar when he dreamed this, right? And so he begins to seek out people to tell him, what in the world does this mean? Well, Daniel comes along and Daniel tells him, it says, it's talking about you, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, it is thou, O king. Thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. Read about Babylon sometime. Read about the greatness of Babylon in its heyday. It was incredible. And it says, and whereas the king saw a watcher and the holy one coming down from heaven and saying, hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree. He says that they will drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heavens. And seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High God ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Now, I don't know that I would have reacted any differently. But in this time, if this man of God had come to me and told me that dream, I think I would have walked on eggshells, right? I think I would have been like, oh my goodness, well, let me see if I can change this. Let me see if I can get on back on the straight and narrow. Let me see if I can do those things. And maybe that happened for a season, but somewhere in a year's time, it quit affecting Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely a child of God. We can talk about that another day, but this is a born again child of God, but he's grown callous and he's let pride overtake him. Even after a warning like that, and it says, and all this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And, and tell me if you find humility here. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty? You see, he walks out and pride is just overtaking him. And he looks, if you will, at this beautiful tree that is Babylon and says, look what I did. Look what I made. All the beasts are having shade. The birds got a place to sit. There's fruit. That's just incredible. It's just a spectacle to everybody. Look at this. I did this. Now, remember, this is after the Lord warned him. And it says, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. The Lord brought his chainsaw out. And they shall drive thee for men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall thou pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird claws. Now that's the sight right there. 
Now, how do you think this impacted his kingdom? Obviously, I would think that Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't have just a wife. He probably had a hundred of them, right? Do you think that contention followed his pride? Do you think his household that he left was just sitting over there in total peace? I bet they were arguing like cats and dogs, right? There was probably so much contention in the house. Where's the king? He's still out in the field. He's still walking around on all fours. Do you think shame followed his pride? Absolutely. Do you think destruction followed it? Absolutely. Pride, simply because he said, look what I've done, right? When Nebuchadnezzar was at his peak, he was probably admired by everybody. Everybody under him, under him probably wanted to be him. Other nations looked at him and said, I wish our kingdom was like Babylon. He was probably the envy of everybody around there, right? But what about when he was cut down? What about when he was crawling around on his all fours all day, all night? You see, he didn't go inside and sleep. How'd the dude get on him? Because he was out there like an animal. Laying in the field until his fingernails grew so long they were like eagle's claws. And his hair grew so long they were like feathers. He went absolutely insane. Because God is faithful to his discipline. Right? God is faithful to chastise his people to bring them to a point where they will humble themselves and then seek the Lord. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar was seeking the Lord? Absolutely not. Was the Spirit of God dwelling in him? Yes. But he had reached over there and just pushed it aside and let his own pride take over. That's right. The Lord has a way of getting the attention of his people. Amen. Now, <clears throat> at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. When did his understanding return unto him? When he quit looking in the mirror, Amen. and it says, when I lifted up mine eyes to heaven. Amen. My understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High God, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Now notice this. Tell me if you find humility in this verse. On the backside of the Lord's chastisement on Him because of His pride. All the inhabitants of, all the, inhabitants of the earth, including Nebuchadnezzar, are reputed as nothing. Are reputed as nothing. How does that make you feel? Does that, does that hurt your pride a little bit? Does that hurt your pride for somebody to say, hey, you're nothing? Nebuchadnezzar didn't have it wrong. Go read Isaiah. He tells you you're less than nothing. He doesn't say you're just nothing. He says you're less than nothing. Now that doesn't mean, listen, that the Lord doesn't value us in the name of Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. In the name of, for the sake of Jesus Christ, we have a high value on us. If we didn't, the Lord wouldn't have died. Amen. Are you with me? Yeah. But when we get to thinking we're something apart from the Lord, we are nothing. That's right. We're nothing. It, what does the Bible say? God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. The very breath that you take is a gracious gift of God. You say, look at all the wonderful things that I've accomplished in my life. Yeah, but if God didn't give you the breath to do it, you'd have never been able to do it. Amen. Because God is gracious and He's merciful to us. And what did He tell Israel time and time and time again? Don't start thinking it's by the might of your own hand Amen. that you've been delivered. 
Why do you think he took Gideon's army and dwindled it down to 300 people so Gideon and all those people would not take credit for it? Because that's our nature to take credit for all the great things that we do, but it is the Lord who gives good gifts. Are you with me? The Bible tells us that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And it tells us that we are to esteem others better than ourselves. Right? Right? If the nations, if the nation, the nation's leaders ask me again, Luke, what do we got to do to change it? We got to humble ourselves. Amen. Do you know what the Do you know what is at the root of the division between races? Pride. Amen. Do you know what's really bothersome to me is there are some groups of people that march under the banner of pride. Are you with me? Yeah. We're in a month right now celebrating groups that the Lord tells us are an abomination and we walk under the banner of pride. That doesn't even make sense to me. You know what that says? I am worthy because I exist and I can do it my way. I'm worth making myself happy. You're not. In and of yourself, you are not. If you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, it is God's way that we should walk. Right? I tell you, I got another sermon coming that's called the, the Destroyer of the Design. How Satan has been destroying God's design since the Garden of Eden or trying to corrupt it. Right. And in the name of pride, we say, I'm not going God's way. I'm worth something, right? Apart from God, we're worth nothing, according to Nebuchadnezzar and according to Isaiah. If we could walk where we esteemed others better than ourselves, If we could walk with the humility that says, Lord, thank you for the money in my bank and giving me the ability to do whatever I do to generate it. That's walking in humility. If we could look at another person and say, you know what, if it comes down between you getting it or me getting it, I'm going to give it to you because I see you as better than me. That's the answer to a lot of our problems. Do you know that every single marriage that has ever been destroyed started with pride? Every single contention between families started with, with pride. Every nation that has ever fallen started with pride. I don't want God to resist me. When I go up to hug my wife, I don't want her pushing me back. Don't, don't hug me. I want her to embrace me. And when I go to the Lord, I don't want him to resist me. But when we have a proud look, a proud thought, a proud tongue, proud actions, the Bible tells us God resists that. But He looks at the humble and He pours His grace out upon them. And you won't make it in this life very far without the grace of God. I hope that's been profitable to you. And please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.